Father, thank you. God, thank you for being there when we need you the most. God, I know sometimes we're distant from you, but you are never distant from us. And God, I praise your name that, God, you're within arm's reach all of the time. God, thank you so much for being close to us. Thank you so much for being there for us. God, sometimes we don't realize how desperately we need you until we've hit rock bottom. God, until we, until we hit rock bottom, do we realize that you are the rock at the bottom. And God, I praise your name for those times, God, where it may not seem like a blessing. It may seem like destruction, but in reality, it is an opportunity to draw close to you. God, I praise your name for those blessings in disguise, those times when things may not seem like they're going well on the surface, God, but there is an eternal glory an eternal weight of glory that's being worked up, that's being done in our lives. And God, I praise your name for those times. God, I praise your name for the times when the burdens seem heavy. God, when, when, when work and friends and family and all of that seems very difficult. And God, all we have to do is to rely on you. That's the only thing we can do in those situations. There's no other place to turn. I praise your name, God, for those times. Because those are the times that we draw close to you. Those are the times that we realize our desperate need for you. God, thank you. Thank you for those times. God, be glorified now as we study your word. I know that your word has the power to change lives, and it is nothing that I will say with my own, my own mouth, with my own heart, God, but it will be everything that you say from the mouth of God. I pray, Lord, that that would touch somebody's life. God, somebody that needs encouragement today, maybe they find encouragement. God, somebody that needs correction over something in their life, maybe they fight, find encouragement there. God, whatever you need to do in the hearts and lives of these people, God, I pray that you would do that. God, and you do it with abundance. God, we love you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we're continuing our study in the book of Ruth. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but there's a lot of times in the Bible where God changes people's names. You ever notice that? They'll be called one thing, and all of a sudden Jesus will show up on the scene, and he'll call them something else. Or Abram, he's going to make a covenant with God, and all of a sudden, God says, your name's no longer Abram anymore, it's Abraham. Uh, I, I'm not sure what that's all about, besides to say that I think there's a good chance there that God is, is showing a transformation that happens in people's life that only God can do. Uh, that, you know, when, uh, when Simon became Peter, Jesus, the way he would chastise him is he would call him Simon. And what he was saying a lot of times was, now you're acting like the old guy. You're not acting like the new guy that I know. You're not acting like uh, the, this guy that's a follower of Jesus. You're acting like the old Simon. So when he would kind of get on his case a little bit, he'd call him Simon. And I think that's pretty cool instead of calling him Peter, which means rock. He says, you're not acting like the rock anymore. You're acting like Simon. For whatever reason, God in the middle of the series has changed the name. I think that the reason he's changed the name of the sermon series is not because we're going to be talking about something different. We're talking about the same thing, but I think that it goes a little bit beyond just Ruth. Okay, so we've been talking about Ruth, and we got this cool little picture up here, and we got Ruth, and, and we see her hand, and we see the grain and all of that, and we've been talking about Ruth for the past couple of weeks. God has changed my heart, and it's no longer called Ruth. Now the name of this series Go ahead, Connie.
The name of the series is Redeemed. That's one of those big churchy words, right? It's one of those churchy words that people hear a lot. We talk about Jesus being a redeemer. We talk about us being redeemed. I don't think a lot of people know what that means. I, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that hear that word and they're like, man, that's good. Jesus is that guy. He's our redeemer. Yeah, he is. What does that mean? I don't know, you know? Like, it, it's one of those big churchy words. I, I got a buddy down the street. He's got a, a church. It's called Redeemer Church. It's just down that way. I mean, uh, his name's Ryan Limbaugh. He's a great guy. He's got Redeemer Church. You know what I think, though? I think there's a lot of people that don't know what that word really means. The good news is, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> the even better news is it's going to go one more week. Even though we're going to be talking about Ruth chapter 3 and Ruth chapter 4 this week, next week the series continues in the, I, I think, unless God changes my heart, it will be the last sermon of that series, but it's a continuation of the series, Redeemed, even though it won't be in Ruth. Everybody's like, okay, good. What are we going to be talking about? You have to come next week to find out. Now, I'm not going to give you everything. I'll give you little pieces, you know, need to know basis only. It's like James Bond. I'll give you a little bit here and a little bit there, and then... You know, you need to come next week. It's like a soap opera. you got to find out what happens next, right? Next Sunday, we'll be talking about redeemed. This Sunday, we're going to talk about redeemed. So let's look. Let's jump in, Ruth. i got to give you background, okay, right? So there may have been people who weren't here the past couple weeks, so i got to fill you in. Try to do this, and I don't know how long it'll take, three minutes or less maybe. So bear with me. If you've been here the past couple weeks, i got to catch everybody up. I don't have a choice. So... Here's the deal with Ruth. Ruth and Naomi and Orpah are in Moab. They're there because Naomi left Bethlehem to go to Moab because there wasn't no food because everybody was hungry because there was a famine in the land, okay? I don't think my English was very good on that. That's okay. I apologize. I have a minor in business and technical writing in case you're wondering. So there ain't no food in Bethlehem, so they go to Moab because there is food there. There's food there. They start eating. This is good. Uh, Naomi's sons, uh, Malon and Kilion, which we know means sickly and wasting away, right? So we know that's great names for your kids, sickly and wasting away. I have to go back. That's just awesome to me. Uh, Naomi means pleasant. Pleasant goes off to Moab. Their sons get, get married. They, they got wives named, uh, named Ruth. And Orpah, okay? Well, bad news. Elimelech dies. Naomi's husband dies. Uh, Malon and Killian die. So you got three widows hanging out together. The, the, the famine has left Bethlehem. They go back to Bethlehem, and so they go back. And, and, and on their way back, Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law there, and she goes, hey, you can go back to the way you were doing things. You don't have to come with me. I'm setting you free. I'm cutting you loose. If you want to take this opportunity to go back and worship your gods and do all the stuff you used to do and have more kids and all that kind of stuff, go do it. This is your chance. I'm cutting you loose, man. You got no obligation to me. Go do your thing. It's okay. Well, Orpah says, oh, I don't want to. And Naomi goes, Oh, but you really should. And Orpah goes, Oh, okay, you taught me into it. Okay, so she goes back. She starts worshiping her gods, doing her thing, being a Moabite. All right, Moabites are not really looked upon very well by the Israelites. The Israelites don't really like the Moabites. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3 says that the Moabites and Ammonites cannot come into the family of Israel. Okay, so it's bad. They're, they're, 
We're anti-Moabites. If we're Israelites, we're anti-Moabites, anti-Ammonites. They're not our people. We're not going to have families with them, all this kind of stuff, right? So it was kind of weird that, that, that Naomi and her family went there, and they started building a family with the Moabites. So that was kind of looked down upon a little bit, all right? So, but here's the good news. So Orpah says, I'm not doing it. I, I, I've had enough of this Israelite business. I had enough of your God. Ruth, however, is hanging out with Naomi, and she says, Hey, I'm going wherever you go. Uh, I, I'm in on, on your God and your people, and I'm going to be one of you, and I'm, I'm going to be in your family. I, I'm not going to go back to the old Moabite way. I'm going to go the Israelite way and worship the one true God, and I'm going with you. And so Naomi and Ruth head back to Bethlehem. They go back, and everybody's talking, chit-chatting. Women are jihawing about what's going on. Oh, is that Naomi? Is she really come back? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, not that women do that, because they, they typically don't talk behind people's backs, but this was what was going on, um, and, and, and they came back. But, you know, Naomi's probably got, it, said, it tells us in the Bible that, that, that Elimelech had some land, and he had some stuff, so he, he has some, some property, but they're still broke. You know how I know this? It's because Ruth has got to go out and glean the fields. That, that's one of those, Things you hear about Ruth, gleaning the fields, right? You hear Boaz and gleaning the fields, and you think, what has this got to do with outlet centers in North Alabama? It doesn't have anything to do with that Boaz, okay? This is Boaz from the Bible. Ruth is going out, gleaning the fields, trying to get some food for her and Naomi so they can survive. They don't have a lot. They let servants do that. Like people that were like low on the totem pole, didn't have much money or whatever, they let them go and pick up whatever was left over that the, the servants had dropped or they had missed or whatever. It fell off the wagon or whatever. They would let them go and pick it up, and that, they could eat that stuff, okay? They could use that to make bread. Well, it turns out that Ruth just happens upon a field, this guy named Boaz. Now, Boaz is, the, here's this big churchy word, kinsman redeemer of the family of Naomi, of Elimelech. What does that mean, Can a kinsman redeemer? Man, I heard that somewhere. This is what it means. In Israelite, in, in their ways, and their laws, and their customs, and the things they did, like if a man died, there had to be somebody to take care of whoever was left over. The family, the wife, the widow, you know, they had to have somebody to take care of them. So what they set up these rules and laws and said, you know what, if somebody dies, there's got to be these, these series of people that are kinsmen uh, that, that can take care of the family. That's basically what it means. They're supposed to redeem the family. Okay, we're going to get there, okay? I'm, hang on, that word redeemer, hang on just a second. So they, they would, there would be these, these series of relatives to be responsible for taking care of the family. Well, that's pretty cool, right? That's a neat way to set things up. It just so happens that Ruth stumbled into the field that belonged to Boaz. And Naomi's like, awesome, man, that's our kinsman redeemer. He's like one of our upper echelon in our family of kinsman redeemer. He's like... Way up there. That's really cool. Just hang out with him. And so Ruth does. And we talked about last week how Ruth is, is there. She's been working all day in the fields and she's thirsty. And Boaz says, I know who you are. I know what you've been doing. I've heard everything that you've been doing. And even though you're a foreigner, you need to drink from my well and not be thirsty. Now, this sounds like... John chapter 4, where Jesus is at a well talking to a woman who has no husband. And he says to her, you need to drink from the water that I have and you'll never be thirsty again. There's something in literary terms called foreshadowing. You ever heard that? You remember old 
12th grade literature class or whatever, like foreshadowing, you know, a, a picture of something that will happen in the future. In the Bible, it's kind of like foretelling. Foreshadowing, foretelling, they're very similar. You know what the name for foretelling is? It's called prophecy. That is the word, foretelling. That's what it is. It's prophecy. This is a picture of what is going to happen in the future. And you've got Boaz, who is a man of God, telling a woman who's, who's thirsty. She needs to drink from his well and never be thirsty again. And he's going to take care of her. And he knows everything about her. That's exactly what Jesus did at the well. So Boaz takes care of Naomi and takes care of Ruth. And he sends some food home with Naomi after he, or excuse me, with Ruth to Naomi to say, hey, You've got plenty to eat. You've got some left over. Send it, you take it home to, to Naomi and y'all eat. Boaz is providing an abundance for Ruth and Naomi. Just like Jesus Christ provides an abundance for you and I. Now, we talked about that. I, I, I'm not talking about you, you don't get a Mercedes Benz. Uh, you, you don't get a $400,000 house. You, you don't get like, like a super-duper job where you get bonuses all the time and you don't ever have to work, you don't get that kind of stuff. What you get is what God wants you to have in order for you to be close to him, for you to be able to use the gifts that you've been given to you to bless somebody else and to be able to give as God has given to you. Okay? I, I, I got on Wednesday night about, I probably shouldn't get on this now, but I, I just to say that it bothered me deeply when I was watching on Tuesday night, a stadium full of people standing around listening to somebody tell them that all your dreams will come true. Everything that you wish for, everything that you'd hope for, it'll come true if you just believe in God. If you just believe that God will, and you name it, and it'll happen, don't you worry about it. That's not what this Bible teaches. This Bible teaches that God gives you exactly what you need so that he can be glorified and you can be close to him. That, that's what this Bible teaches. Now, there's a lot of people that take bits and pieces out of this and twist it and turn it and spin it around and tell you that it tells something else, but that's not what it says. Here we got Boaz taking care of Ruth and Naomi, giving them what they need and giving them in abundance. I think this is a clue to Naomi that things are going well. So we're in Ruth chapter 3. I don't know how long that recap took, but it's more than three minutes. I know that. So I'm going to go fast. One day Ruth said to Naomi, my daughter, it's time for, uh, that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours. He's been very kind letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be uh, winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until, you're fin until he has finished eating. But be sure that he lies down and go and uncover his feet and lie down there and he will tell you uh, what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth uh, replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz was finished eating and drinking, was in good spirits, he lay down at the, the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke and woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I, I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Okay, this is what's going on. So Naomi tells Ruth, you need to dress nice. You need to get your perfume on. You need to take a bath. I, I don't know how long it's been since Ruth has taken a bath, but she tells her to take a bath. So that's a good thing. 
take a bath, put on your nice clothes, smell good, go to, go to the threshing floor, hang out there until Boaz has gone to sleep, and then you just kind of go up and, and hang out beside him and ask him to cover you. What is this all about, Kenny? Uh, like, this is Middle Eastern custom, and like, this is a long time ago, and I don't really get all this stuff. What is this about? Well, she says at the end, you are my family redeemer. You know what she's saying here? She, she's asking him to take care of them, to redeem my family, to take care of my family. Me and my mother-in-law, I'm asking you to take care of me. And this would have been symbolic in him covering her with his cloak and covering her up that he was going to take care of her. It was a covering. You remember when I, I said in that song, cover us? Here, Ruth is asking Boaz to cover her. To take care of her. This was an invitation because Boaz was a godly man. He was a man of integrity. And even if he would have wanted to marry Ruth, he couldn't necessarily just go up and say, Hey, I want to marry you. Will you marry me? It, it, that wasn't the way things happened. She was a widow and, and she had to be taken care of. But Boaz couldn't go up to her and just simply say, Can I marry you? It didn't work that way. She had to present herself to him and say, Will you redeem me? Will you take care of me? Will you cover me? And her mother-in-law, Naomi, says, this is what you've got to do. If you, I'm sure they've been, you know, two women talking, her and her mother-in-law, like, man, we, we really think that this is what we need to do in order to find a permanent home. This, this, this is a man who's been so kind to us and taking care of us and, and all of these things. And so she goes and she lays down at the threshing floor where they thresh the wheat, where they, uh, they, they prepare the wheat. And... and and she lays down there at Boaz's feet. Everybody's like, man, that's a good story. What the heck does that have to do with me? I want you to think about Jesus in your life. I want you to think about your Redeemer, which is Jesus Christ. I want you to think about Him covering you. I want you to think about how He, does, he allows you to come to Him to, to ask Him, will you redeem me? Will you cover me? Think about that. This is a picture of Christ in our lives as we come in our humble state before God saying, cover me. Cover me. And that's exactly, man, I have so much I could say right here. I'm, I'm going to wait, though. We're going we're gonna to get there. So, so Boaz is a man of integrity. He can't approach her. That's the message I really wanted to get across to you right there. For you are my family redeemer. Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you ever did before, and you have not gone for a rich or a younger man, or whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. He says, man, you could have gone after some young dude. You didn't have to come after some old dude like me. You could have gone after a young, wealthy, rich dude. So apparently, you know, Ruth had, must have had it going on in some way. I mean, like, he must have, she must have looked pretty good. So he was like, you could have went after a young, rich dude, but you chose to come at my threshing floor and hang out here at my feet. He says, he says, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town that knows you're a virtuous woman. He says, but uh, while it is true that I am your family's redeemer, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight in the morning. I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Lie down here until morning. This is what he says. He says, he says, this is the way things are going to happen. This is what the law says. This is what, what the way we do things. He says, there's another family redeemer. 
I can't take you and take care of you. I can't officially do that. I can't, I can't marry you. I can't redeem your family until I go to the other family redeemers and say, is it okay? They had to give like a first right of refusal, if you will. Say, you want to take care of this family. Is this what you want to do? You want to, you want to marry Ruth and you want, to, you want to take care of Naomi. Is that what you want to do? Because he's a man of integrity. This speaks highly of Boaz over and over again about how much he was a man of integrity. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light, enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz, it was dark. <laughs> you want to know what the Bible's saying? It was dark. For Boaz said, no one must know the woman's here in the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley to the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned, then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done, and she added, He gave me six scoops of barley and said, Go back to your mother-in-law. Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. This is, this is what happened. So there's this kind of agreement between Ruth and Boaz about how things are going to go down about he's got to go check with the other family redeemers to make sure that it's okay for him to redeem the family. But he sends back six scoops of barley with Ruth to Naomi. What is this? Before she had an abundance, she took it back to Naomi. Again, she got six scoops, taking it back to Naomi. What is this about? You know what I think this is about? I think this is about a promise, assurance of a promise. This is about, I'm giving you something now to look forward to so that you can see what is to come. You know, you know what our six scoops is? You and I as believers, you know what our six scoops is? It's this right here, the Word of God. It, it's a promise. It's what we look to for hope. It is what we, what we put our faith and our trust in is the Word of God. And we say, there's a promise here. And I read the end of the book. I know what happens, and I know that God makes everything right. If I put my faith and trust in him and he reveals himself through his word to me, it's a promise. Feast on the six scoops of barley. You need to feast on this word, which is a promise. The reason people are starving in this world is, is because they're not feasting on the barley. They're not starving with, with hunger in their stomachs. They're starving with hunger in their hearts. And God has given us an abundance over and over again. And people ignore the food, the food that is right here, the promise that is contained within these words, and people are ignoring it every single day, and they wonder why they come out hungry. It's because you're not feasting on the word. Here we see he sends Ruth back to Naomi with barley as a promise. And, 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 <laughs> Naomi says these words that we hate to hear as Christians, as people. Uh, there's, this, there's this word. It's like a four-letter word almost. Patience. <laughs> if there's anybody in here that loves to hear that word, be patient. Um, there's probably something wrong with you. Uh, I don't like being patient. I, don't, I know most of you don't like being patient. But here we see Naomi telling Ruth, be patient. Be patient. 
for you in your life as you struggle, as you're like, man, I don't understand what's going on in the world. I don't understand why I'm hurting like I am. I don't understand why things are turning out the way they are. I, I didn't really plan on this. And I didn't really think that it was going to go down this way. And sometimes we just got to be patient. We've got to be patient on the promises to come through, on the answers to be revealed, for the uncovering to happen so that we, we can see more clearly. you just got to be patient. And that's exactly what she tells Ruth. Just be patient. He's going to do what he said. Hey, I wish I could tell you every single week, just be patient. He's going to do what he said. Every single week I stand up here and tell you the same thing, that you may not see it now, but one day you will. Just be patient. He's going to do what he said talking about the love of Christ and God intervening in your life if you trust in him and trust in what he says just be patient he's going to do what he said and we go into chapter 4 and we see this that uh, you know Boaz does he does what he said he goes to the the other family redeemer and he, he talks and he says he says man you know you got this opportunity you want to you want to take this you want to take this opportunity to redeem this family you want to take this opportunity to, to marry Ruth and, and redeem Naomi's family. Do you want to take the opportunity to do that? And this is what happens in, in chapter 4. It says, I, he says, I can't redeem it. He says, I can't redeem it in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I can't redeem it. He says, but you redeem the land. I cannot. He says, I can't do it. So why don't you do it? God is still at work. God is still doing something. I, I imagine at first glance, when you got a list of redeemers, potential family redeemers, the first guy says no, and you might start to get heavy-hearted. But because we know the end of the story and we kind of see God at work in Boaz, we're like, we're pulling for Boaz. We're going like... Man, I don't want this other dude to be a family redeemer. I want Boaz to be the family redeemer. That's who I want. That's who we're pulling for. Like, we're watching a movie here. We're going, we're pulling for Boaz, man. Boaz is the man. I mean, he's older. He's got, he's got land and stuff, and he's got servants, and he's probably got some money, but, but maybe it doesn't look so great. Maybe he's a little bit wrinkly, but we're pulling for Boaz, man. We're like, Boaz has been good to this family, and he keeps taking care of Naomi and taking care of Ruth. We're pulling for Boaz. And obviously God is still at work here because the young man looks, or the other redeemer looks at Boaz and says, I can't do it. Why don't you do it? And, and you know, in the back of his mind, Boaz was going, yes, yes, that is what I wanted to happen all along. I mean, he's doing the Tiger Woods fist pump. He's like, yes, this is what I wanted to happen in, to begin with anyway. He said, but I had to do it the right way. I respect the fact that Boaz says, man, I got to do it the right way. If it's going to honor God and it's going to please God and God's going to bless it, i got to do it the godly way. And that's what he did. So he goes and he talks to the other family redeemer and says, No, I can't. He says, No, I can't, but you do it, Boaz. Why don't you take So Boaz, he, he's good with this. It says, Now in the days it was custom for is in Israel for anyone transferring the right of a purchase to remove a sandal and hand it over to the other party. This publicly validated the uh, transaction. So the other family, Redeemer, drew off his handle and handed it to Boaz. You buy the land. You buy the land. What is he saying here? The land that Elimelech owned, he could buy it. He could purchase it. Let me, let me ask you this question. 
Uh, as we look at this passage and we think about it, Ruth and Naomi were broke. Ruth and Naomi were broke. You know how I know that? Because Ruth had to go out and glean the fields like the other poor people did when, when the, the servants got done. They'd go out and pick up the, the barley after the fact. And, and, and Ruth and Naomi are broke. And now, yet, there's still a price being paid for Elimelech's land. The family redeemer is paying a price. Do you see that? The, the, the family redeemer is paying a price. Do you know that you were bought with a price? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says you were bought with a price. You know what that price was? It was Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ. His life was laid on the line, and, and, and he took the punishment that you should have deserved. He took it upon himself, and... and he paid the price for you. We, we hear that all the time. A redeemer is somebody that pays the price. A redeemer is somebody that, that's willing to, to pay for something, even though he, he may rightfully get it anyway, he pays for it. Do you know that, that God created you? You know that you were knit together in your mother's womb, is what it says in Psalms, that, that he knew every single hair on your head, he knew everything about you before you were created. And then he let you, he let you do your own thing. He lets you do your he lets you go out into the world, choose whether you loved him or not, even though he created you. That's what God did. He, he allowed you. He's not gonna make you love him. That's what we said last week. God's not gonna make you love him. He created you, put you together, you belong to him. And now he gives you an opportunity to choose him. And he pays a price for you. Just like he paid a price for Ruth and Naomi, he's paid a price for you. We don't fully sometimes recognize the gravity of that. See, God, God already owns us. He already has us. He made us. He, he can make another one of us. But he chooses to pay a price for us to redeem us so that we can be brought into his family so that he can cover us. I, I think we take advantage of that, and it's called grace abuse. When we acknowledge the fact that he paid the price, but we're not willing to say, Yes, Lord, I am yours. We're not willing to say, yes, God, I belong to you. We're not really willing to surrender everything in our life and say, everything that I have now belongs to you. And here we see the picture of what God did in our lives. And you know what happens? You know what happens? They get married. They get married. Ruth and Boaz get married. The, the covenant connection between God and his church is always a picture of marriage. With the bride and bridegroom, it, it is always a picture of that connection, the marriage covenant that connects the two. And here we see the marriage covenant between Ruth, Ruth and Boaz. And we see the commitment level there. And we see the, the fact that God paid a price for you and I so that we could be connected to him through his covenant and through his grace. And so that God can say, I will cover you. I will protect you. I will take care of you. You are one of mine. I'm bringing you into the family. I am bringing you into Deuteronomy 23.3 says that they shouldn't be brought into the family. No Moabite or Ammonite should be brought into the family. Here, here God is saying, you know what? You know how you can, you can break through all that? You know how you can, you can be one of mine? It's by you 
being connected with me. You being with me and surrendering everything to me, allowing me to cover you and allowing me to take care of you and allowing me to be your redeemer and pay the price for you. Allowing yourself to be redeemed. Allowing yourself to recognize the price that was paid for you. Why is this so important? Why why is this such a big deal? They gave birth to a son. And the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and cared for him as if he were on. The neighbor women said, Now at last... Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Why is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal? Because this Moabite woman came into the family and came into the lineage of Jesus. Being a descendant of David meant that she was a descendant of Jesus Christ through Mary, his mother, who had to go back to Bethlehem at the time of the census. Remember that? They had to go back to, to Bethlehem, to, the, to the, their, their, their place of lineage, their place where they came from. This woman who was a foreigner and a Moabite was in the lineage of Jesus. You know what that tells me and tells you? There's always hope. There's always hope. See, the Moabites worshipped other gods and made child sacrifices and did all these nasty, awful, terrible things. And Ruth used to be wrapped up in that. But she made a commitment to follow Naomi and go back to Bethlehem. She said, your God is going to be my God and your people are going to be my people and I'm going to be one of you. And because of her heart and her commitment to God, in that, God says, I'm going to use somebody like that, and they're going to be in the family of Jesus Christ, both literally and figuratively. They're going to be one of mine. I'm going to cover them. And not only am I going to take care of them and adopt them, but they're going to be in my bloodline. We're going to share blood. And that is exactly what Christ has said to you in your life, in the place that you are, no matter what you have done or where you have been or the things you have done in your past. He says, you can be in my bloodline. You can be one of my family members, and you can be called friend of God. You know, that's what Ruth's name was, friend. Did you know that? So I hadn't told you that up until this point, have I? I hadn't told you what Ruth's name meant. meant friend. meant friend. She went from being a friend of Naomi to a friend of God because of her heart. You and I have the same opportunity. You know what we have to do? We have to ask. We have to be like Ruth and we have to fall down at his feet and ask. Where was Ruth when she went to the threshing floor? Where did she go? She went to his feet. You know where you and I have to go in order to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? We have to go to his feet humbly and say exactly what Ruth said. I am your servant. I am your servant. You see that this book of Ruth is about the gospel. Over and over and over again, we see God's 
hand in every single detail, every single element, so that you and I could feast on the hope that is contained therein. That we don't have to wonder, man, am I, am I not good enough? Can I, can I fit in with this whole Jesus thing? Can I be one of these Christian peoples? Am I good enough to really be one of them? Ruth was a Moabite way on the outside, and it was even declared in their law that they shouldn't be one of the family. And God says, do away with all of that because of her heart and her commitment. And she said, your God is going to be my God. So she fell down at Boaz's feet. God, his hand was in every single element and said, you're going to be married, you're going to have a son, and that son will be in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. If that didn't knock your socks off, I don't know what will. God is so good and so sovereign that he is in control of everything. And like I said before, he's got the whole thing rigged. And he wants you and I to recognize just how good and how gracious he is. That no matter what you've done or where you've been, you can always come to him. I hope that gives you hope like it gives me hope. That gives me a tremendous amount of hope. That no matter where I have been, I can still be in his bloodline. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God. Thank you so much for the hope that this word provides. God, it's overwhelming to think that you didn't just allow this to happen, God. You chose it to happen. You ordained it to happen, God, so that this woman who was a foreigner would be brought into your family so that we can see that no matter how much we feel like we're on the outside or we're not able to fit in, we fit perfectly with you. Uh, that there is a, a way through our hearts and through our commitment to you, if we come humbly to your feet and confess you as Lord and, and, and that we are servant, God, that we can be redeemed, we can be paid for, they can, they, that we have been bought with a price. God, you always, you always show us, God, your saving grace through the, through the marriage that happens between bride and bridegroom between husband and wife, the fact that, 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 that we can be married to you in this covenant relationship that you have with us. God, but we know. We know that it, it can't happen without us being fully committed, without us being fully, fully poured in to, to the idea of being connected to you. And God, there may be somebody here, they're not fully committed. They're, they're not fully into this relationship with you. And God, maybe that's breaking their heart. I, I hope that it is. God, I hope that they recognize the price that was paid for them through your son, Jesus Christ. I just pray, Lord, if there's somebody like that, if they don't know you, and God, they're brokenhearted because they want to, God, let them come to this place and fall at your feet. And God, may you cover them today. God, I pray for those in this place. God, they're hurting. God, they got no reassurance that you're anywhere in their life, that you're doing anything in their life. And I pray that this story has reminded them, God, that you're right there. God, that you're still at work, that you're still doing great things. God, you're trying to show us stuff, and maybe we don't have our eyes open to that. And God, I, I just pray, Lord, that they would just find hope today. God, for the brokenhearted person, whatever they need, I pray that they would see that Jesus Christ is the answer. Now, I pray that they would just come to this altar and say, God, I need you. I desperately need you. God, whatever you need to do in the hearts of lives of people today, God, I pray that we would be obedient now in our response to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you all stand?